Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at Pierre Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. I think that, yeah, that's all of it. Um, welcome back. I don't know why I'm recording this show. Not like in general. Not like every week. Like I know I I get that I'm a degenerate fantasy football player. Um, that who does a podcast because everyone does, right? Um. But I've actually managed to rope at least a few people uh, to do a rookie redraft um, tomorrow. And that makes sense as a better show with, you know, a bunch of people who, you know, are awesome instead of just me. Um, trying to redraft this rookie class given what we know so far. Um, but it's on a Friday. I release this podcast on a Saturday. And so I was like, well, why don't I record one? And just in case it goes really late. I have a podcast, or maybe I just really like talking to myself in a room at this point. Who knows? Who knows the real answer? But I, I had I had a topic I wanted to cover anyway, so uh, yeah, here we are. If you want to check out the Rookie Draft live, uh, I, we're going to be streaming it, because that's how I record podcasts with guests, so it'll be on Twitch, it'll be on youtube uh you can find the link to both of those channels in the description of the show or you know on my twitter or where wherever you were unfortunate enough to find me and then subsequently find this podcast so check it out and it'll i guess be next week's podcast as well i don't know i really haven't figured this out but that's what's going on with me right now how about you hope hope you're doing well Let's talk about the 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 thing that I want to talk about, and it's rookie based. We're a dynasty podcast who doesn't uh, really stay week to week in terms of actionable information. That's what articles and Twitter are for, right? So the podcast usually stays more general, general advice for who to target, who not to target, one topic at a time. We really don't know at this point in the season, but. I was looking over my rookie board, and if you don't know, I make a draft board with all my ranks for rookie classes every year, or I have done for the last couple, and um, I post it on Google Sheets. I actually make it, um, what's the word? You can make your own. You type in the names where you want them, and it recalculates the hit rates, So because it's got a little hit rate thing next to it. So it's meant to be like, you can make your own copy. Here's a version you can make your own rookie board. I guess I'll put that link in the description as well, because that's what podcasts do. Anyway, um, so I was looking at it, and I'm just getting more and more mad at myself. Even got close to listening back to one of my previous episodes or two, just to see what I was thinking. Because um, I know what I was thinking, but I almost don't believe it sometimes. And so I think I made some mistakes. That's why I don't change it. It's not because I like to, I do like to stand on hills and say, look how right I got it. And I got an awful lot right in that rookie board. Feeling pretty happy. But 
it's because I want to look back on it after I know how it worked out, at least for the first seven weeks so far, or the first season, or whatever. And so it's a it's a very guttural reflection point on how did I do once looking back and finding I had like Kalen Balage ranked over players he really shouldn't have been ranked over at all and so maybe I should look into that and what went wrong with it and stuff like that and and anyway I was getting more and more mad at myself because I think it's not the mistakes that I was mad at aren't ones that like oh I got one wrong I expect to get stuff wrong I can feel myself tripping as the kids say on some of those ranks and I just don't like it um and a few of my podcasts this last season, I did keep mentioning how I was having a hard time. I kept putting it, getting it into take season, which I, it's a stupid way of putting something. I've decided that was stupid, but I was trying to express or what I'm taking away from listening back to myself is that I was having a hard time adjusting to really my first bad year, like real bad. 2019 went real bad for me from a expectation of what the season would bring to an expectation of the rookie class. I mean, I can defend my rookie ranks. They were pretty awesome. I got most of the highlights right. But I'm always upset. I get upset at weird things. Things that I should do better at that I don't because I've corrected for them. And that's what's going on with me in this rookie board as well. I'm looking at it. I'm like, do you... We fixed this, Pete. What was going on? And the best I can figure is spiraling in 2019 over Nikhil Harry. And actually, it wasn't even rookie ranks. It was just a few things I didn't expect that I think I could have seen. Um, I had a hard time sticking to my guns in terms of process in my ranks. And I can see that for one very vivid reason that this isn't just getting... I got plenty wrong. I'm always going to get plenty wrong and I'm happy to learn from it. But... I remembered, and I checked, doing a very strong, and I found it, it's probably one of my strongest outings, ranting about T. Higgins versus Brian Edwards, and how people were mistaking my liking of Brian Edwards, or other people's liking of Brian Edwards, for perhaps drafting Brian Edwards over T. Higgins, and I was very, very strongly against that point. I think, I'm, I hope I made that clear in other places other than this podcast, because I'd certainly practiced that way. That's what my drafts show. I have several shares of T. Higgins that I moved around to get in some instances, specifically because I wanted more T. Higgins. I was very on that train. But my rookie board is meant to be different than my ranks. That's why I have both there, to show how I would draft differently than I maybe have preference for players based on value. And that way you get a shot of both. And that's also in that podcast. I remember I described this rookie board last year. I described it this year, and that's the function of it. The rookie board takes into account ADP and shows you how I would draft right now rhetorically before and after the draft, not in an actual draft, but if I have every pick, how I would draft based on how much I like players and what their value is. There's some players I'm willing to let fall because I'm just not in on them, but relatively rarely. Consensus is getting stronger and stronger as we get more and more uh, better. More and more better. Is that a sentence I can use on here? No, no one's objecting, so I'm going with it. At Dynasty Ranks in general, we are getting to be smarter as a consensus ranking, even with Dynasty complications, even though we're this small, tiny corner of the market, and it's not quite as you know popular or well-played out. Not everyone knows every rule kind of a kind of a place we're still getting better at it so 
it's relatively rare that I'll fade a player significantly outside of a hot take or a funness on a podcast or just because I just really don't see it, you know? Um, but when I'm presenting a rookie board, I more try and go with best advice if anyone's, you know, foolish enough to listen to my advice, right? So the rookie board's not meant to reflect my ranks, and it's meant to show how I would adjust how I like players for value. That means I take first-round picks in the NFL draft early, a lot earlier than I'd like them, because they're first-round picks in the NFL draft, and we've spoken about this a lot. While I hate it, and I think there are ancillary reasons outside of talent for it, first-round picks have higher hit rates. The single most important factor, unfortunately, we can make production almost as valuable and, you know, go listen to any decent podcast from anyone else or me this offseason. I explained this ad nauseum and on and on and on. So the rookie board's meant to be different. And I completely failed at that after that. Like I literally laid it out in the in, in that rant and a few other places on different podcasts. T Higgins well above Brian Edwards. But on that rookie board... I've got Brian Edwards above T. Higgins. Not just in my ranks, which is showing preferences for value and everything else, but in a rookie draft, that works differently. And the whole point was, take T. Higgins in the first, hope to get Brian Edwards in the second. That's the plan. I think Brian Edwards is a decent buy right now, by the way, because all that hype, now it's gone. But the hype was just noise. But the decent, the decent, again, a weird word, is actually solid and um, for that profile. Um, and again, get to talking about how well, well rookies are actually playing this season compared to past hits and stuff through the first six, seven weeks in a second. But I just want to get this out of me. My rookie board has some significant flaws and they're significant to me because I know better and I literally said better. You idiot. Like, I was calling myself an idiot on my podcast while posting evidence that I was making the same mistake. Keyshawn Vaughn and Brian Edwards ranked ahead on my rookie board, not just preference ranks that were below that. God, I'm stupid sometimes. And it's it, it really kind of annoys me because... Well, not kind of. It should. And it should definitely actively annoy anyone paying attention to my content. Hello, seven people. I really, really like you guys. I'm trying to do better. Because my articles and my podcast were definitely strong on my process. And then when I got to my rookie board, which I think people like ranks. They like visuals. And that rookie board I got several requests for. Like, hey, do that again. Where's the link again? And I got it wrong there. And that's annoying. So it's still up. I'll put the link in the description. Like, if, if you would like to go doodle on it about what an idiot I am, I'd appreciate it. Like, I need someone else to own me for this because I failed at my own process. Ugh. Anyway, something that's actually probably more relevant to you. I felt like rookie that the possession of uh, team offenses is actually a lot higher this year than it has been in past years. And one of the things I do in my weekly DLF uh, target share article, I wish they didn't call those target share articles because I'd rather use other stats, but it all has to kind of focus around that, and I get it. Um, is how often we see players at certain positions over certain thresholds for throughout an entire season, and it gives us a 
gives us a good baseline for expecting Jamison Crowder not to maintain a 35% target share, but still be a significant target share leader for the season. Not to expect five players, as it was in week one, to be over 30% target share. That's going to come down. Doesn't mean these players won't be won't have a high target share, and in fact, we look at the repetitive rate from week one to week 16, and there's a large percentage of players in week one, week two, week three, that have high target shares, which end up as leaders in target share at the end of the season. That's one of the reasons it's a pretty decent stat. We also look at some other stats, but I'm running through that exercise for myself and occasionally reminding readers of that article about it, and I still had this vague impression that, you know, there were higher target shares so far through seven weeks than there are typically. So instead of comparing it to season averages, and I'm, I'm spiraling towards rookies, there is a point here. I, I swear, I think. Anyway, um, you've got to fact check yourself, you know, um, especially if you're all process, 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 numbers nerd. You, you can't just, you know, eh, it feels that way. Let's go with the narrative this week, right? So, um, oh, interesting side note for any nerds, especially using Rotoviz, which my Patreons, my dear, dear Patreons, um, they're the only reason I can actually get behind the paywall at Rotoviz. It's not a huge high paywall. I'm just like, I-, I need help. And they give it to me. That's mostly what I use that Patreon money for. And that's how I create a lot of my my new databases, which I think are a lot better that I'm sharing for free and behind the paywall. So Patreons... Gods, as far as I'm concerned, heroes, whichever way you prefer, really. Um, but anyway, the Rotoviz screener, if you're familiar with Rotoviz, there's, an, uh, there's a page, an app on there where you can search through different week ranges and different years, and it's how I create my season-long NFL database now, because it's going to be there and won't disappear like previous sources that were free that I was using. Um, provides different, slightly different numbers to its weekly stat app, which is what I use to populate my 2020, you know, weekly updated player stats, team stats, everything else. And that's weird. I understand it. This isn't a slam at Rotoviz, just in case you're thinking about getting behind the paywall. I'm not saying, ah, oh, this is terrible. It, I, I perfectly understand, especially how percentage numbers can sh- shift based on which sample you're using, how you're calculating target share. It seems like a pretty simple calculation, but do you do it per game? Do you include throwaways? All these type of numbers can shift numbers in differently, but I wasn't expecting to see those slight differences within a site or within a source, if you know what I mean. I, it happens to me because I use different sources to do different cheats, so I'm familiar with it. It's not a mistake. It's just one of the difficulties of data um, and and it doesn't create a big difference, but it is just if you're using Rotoviz um, and you're getting data from the screener and data from the weekly stat app or the yearly stat app, I think they're two different ones. Um, the, the number, the the base numbers are using to calculate specifically target share, I can say are slightly different. So spitting out slightly different order of, you know, target share leaders, for example. But anyway, uh, skipping off that point. I literally downloaded the first seven weeks of the last, how many seasons did I do? I think I did the last five seasons and compared it to 2020 through the first six, seven weeks, right? So we're comparing apples to apples, target share leaders and the top five target share leaders in all positions because there's even at the end of most seasons, there's at least one um, 
uh, tight end, for example, sometimes a running back like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, stuff like that. So I just downloaded all of them, ranked them in terms of highest target share to lowest target share through the week one to seven, and then looked at the different years and compared it to 2020. Um, I was expecting 2020 to be slightly above average because when you look at an average and actually compare decent context over a significant sample, you rarely get extraordinary over-unders this way. That's why it's one interesting way of... If you're getting too wild results, you you either found something remarkable or you probably did something wrong. And I'm very familiar with the doing something wrong thing. But um, anyway, to put this into an example... In 2020, the top five players in target share have averaged 29.6% of their offense. We've actually got three players over 30% over the 30% mark. Relatively rare it's two, let alone three, so I do expect that to shift a little bit by the end of the season. But the players doing that high target share are actually kind of, yeah, I kind of get that. Adam Thielen, he's co-opted large parts of the offense before, and he's definitely that type of player. DeAndre Hopkins is pretty much always the one with 30% or more um, of his team's target share, so that makes perfect sense. And Keenan Allen is another one who also often has incredibly high market shares. It's the nature of the way they play, as well as how talented they are to attract that amount of their offense. So it looks fine but you can't I don't really expect three players to have 30% although it's not outside the range but I'm getting into it here and the top five have averaged 29.6 and 2019 it was 29% 2018 it was 13.4% so slightly higher dig back through five years do the average of that and 2020 is actually just slightly below the average in top five. It's also just slightly below the top 12, the top 24, and the top 36 players in target share. Now, not significantly enough, I'm saying 2020 doesn't have target hogs. That's not the truth. It's close enough that it's about normal. It's just a regular season in terms of how much offense or targets um, players are co-opting from their team's um, in 2020, which is remarkable in and of itself, since we're basically told to expect nothing but defense. No one will be able to score points because of COVID and a lack of practice time. No one will know how to run a route or teach someone the new cons. Anyway, um, Tosh, basically. Um, so 2020 is looking like a remarkably similar year um, with ups and downs, just like every year has in terms of the percentage of the offense that players are actually co-opting now that was actually not how i started remember i felt like there were three players with over 30 percent maybe we're still a little higher than average um compared to previous years and i was going to do an opposite take because of the lack of preparation because 2020 is so um shifting in terms of who's on the depth chart who's available um teaching simpler offenses to new players who haven't had a lot of experience in the NFL or a lot of experience on that team. I thought that might be something that shows up. Uh, it's not. It looks fairly typical. And that's interesting, if not different. Difference is usually where we get excited. This is different. Therefore, we can chase it or we can fade it, right? In this case, um, offenses in 2020 look remarkably similar in terms of volume numbers or control of the offensive production for players compared to past years, which is about where me and Jacob Rickrow got to when he came on the podcast. So it feels like a small win, but this isn't a victory lap. It's just something I didn't quite feel, but when I actually dig back, that's true. Now, the reason I'm talking about that is because I was looking at rookies as the this podcast starts. Um, 
so shall it end, right? I was trying to create a decent baseline, which, you know, I've put all this stuff out before, but I was trying to combine 2020 data from my 2020 sheet that I'm uploading for everyone with career year so that I could specifically look at rookies and combine it to that NFL database that I've put out for you all, as well as the GIFs and images and shit. Um, swore, nice. Um, with reasonable expectations for first, second, third round picks, in their rookie year, right? We should expect less generally than hype suggests, except for 2014 and 2018 and when a, and 2019 when a really decent class shows up or just players in good situations. Obviously, it gets largely contextual when you're talking about when you bring it from rookies to a specific class into a specific player. Really, anything's possible. Uh, Odo Beckham happened. Um, Justin Jefferson's happening this year. Uh, last year, DK Metcalf happened. You know, everything's possible. The fallacy of the average can sometimes mislead us in the opposite direction. Instead of expecting too much, we start expecting too little from an individual player we really like, right? So it's important to remember that both extremes are possible. Um, and the average is just guiding us for reasonable expectations for players that might not perform well or might not stick out as clearly as Justin Jefferson, right? So I was just trying to combine all of that stuff and so I could literally reference it. How well are players doing this year? Now, there'll be very little surprises. As you like fantasy and dynasty fan fantasy football, you pretty much know the 2020 class is killing it. Not a lot of surprises there. But like with my target share exercise, I like to check my feelings every single time onto what's actually happening. Go look at actually what's happening rather than how it feels. And so I did that. And before my rookie draft, redraft with uh, a couple of my friends, um, actually, they probably actually don't want to be called my friends, a couple of people who for some reason are willing to talk to me about fantasy football. Um, FS Spaceman's already agreed. J Mike told me to go to hell. No, he didn't. But he said he couldn't make it. Uh, Gabe Gearing from the Open Bar podcast, though, with J. Mike, um, says maybe if there's nothing better to do, which is pretty much, yeah, that's a, that's that's really my highest expectation of requesting something of Gabe. Like he doesn't doesn't show out unless it's cool enough, uh, and I'm not. So uh, who who else we got in there? Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies podcast because I can never not have enough good reasons to talk to Zach. And a couple of others. I don't know why I threw out names. It just kind of rolled off the tongue. Um, and I'm kind of asking everyone. And hopefully I'll get five, six people. And we can redraft and argue about rookies. But before I do that, I want to know where they're at. Not my feelings on it. But what's actually going on. And so I thought that as long with my rant about my own rookie board. Might make a podcast. Let's find out, shall we? Um, Alright, so. Again, you can find out the average of players who've had two top 24 seasons in their rookie year. That's typically my baseline. If a player has two seasons in the top 24 on PPR scoring throughout their career, I think they were pretty decent for fantasy, right? Those That, that creates a reasonable expectation. But again, the fallacy of the average is going to rope in players that had terrible rookie seasons and then turned out to be relatively great. Like Demarius Thomas, I think, is one who had a fairly uh, poor rookie season and then became Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders as well. It really weird that they both played for the Broncos, I guess. I've just got the Broncos on the mind. Um, but that's because he spent some time in Pittsburgh before going to 
uh, Baltimore. Anyway, I also broke it down by draft round because I think that's a reasonable adjustment. You can't expect a fourth round pick to be given as much opportunity as a first round pick. So if we're going to talk about reasonable expectations for this rookie class, it's not really fair, I think, or uh, or going to create a decent expectation to compare them to all players or just first round picks. So I've adjusted, by, adjusted it by draft round which also shrinks the sample size. So the nerd in me wants to warn you that this is all just a decent average, but it's not life on death to go over it or under it. But we have to believe in some kind of threshold, I guess. I guess we do. I do, anyway, and this is it. Um, it, Oh, for undrafted free agents, I used a third-round rookie pick baseline because actually the undrafted free agents have a similar hit rate to third and fourth round picks, not first and second, and then fourth, fifth, and sixth round picks, interestingly enough. So, and also, I wanted a lower expectation, but not nothing expectation, because I love undrafted free agents, and I think that's really where we should be on them, around a third round pick, if they are actually doing stuff. That should be a reasonable expectation of them. All right. So that's the that's the boring stuff. And again, you can see all of that in my NFL database or in the images I posted of it on Patreon and Twitter, I guess, if you're interested in seeing it. But let's compare all of that noise um, to the 2020 rookie class. How well are they doing? Yeah, they're killing it. That's awesome. I have no new information. Thanks for listening. No, and there are a few things I want to know. One, uh, Justin Herbert is outperforming Joe Burrow as a first-round rookie pick quarterback in his first season. Now, why do I say that? Well, I'm comparing across several metrics that just happened to line up between my NFL database and my 2021. I forgot to import expected points for this. So, oh, I forgot to import expected points for game for my... uh, expectations of rookies drafted in certain rounds so I don't have that one and I would like to compare it but what I've got is points per game for rookies based on their draft round in their first year their target share their yards per team pass attempt and the yards per team attempt which are all pretty decent numbers to give you an idea of how well a player is performing in a given year just as an overview and then obviously looked at the over-under compared to that expectation. Currently right now, Justin Herbert is about 12 points per game over the expectation of first-round rookie quarterbacks. Now, if we were doing this in more in-depth, I would strongly recommend, and you can with that database actually in the data that I have in there, um, I would strongly recommend specifically with quarterbacks, you look at top 12 seasons instead of top 24, and you break down the first round into like, 12 pick increments a first round quarterback drafted in the first seven picks like joe burrow and and justin herbert is a very different thing to a quarterback drafted at the end or the middle of the first round that's one thing we do know that's one area where we do know that round isn't good enough to describe player expectations from the draft interestingly enough another one is interestingly tight end but moving on so, you know, the expectation is relatively low and too low to compare both of these players. Now, both are significantly over the averages in those stats. Um, Justin Herbert is 12 points per game over expectation for a first-round quarterback. Joe Burrow is 7 points per game over, expect- over that reasonable baseline expectation for a first-round quarterback. Both of them are at least 1.5 yards per team pass attempt or one. 
or three yards per team attempt over expectation for quarterbacks drafted in that round. Those are really good numbers. Um, comparing it to past rookie classes through the first seven weeks is possible. I haven't done the first seven weeks, but I have looked at past classes before now in this fashion, and I can tell you that Herbert and Burrow are significantly killing it. I'm not much of a quarterback evaluator, as I pretty much end up saying every show, so I don't know if this is the best way of evaluating how well they're doing for future dynasty prospects, but they make me drool in Superflex leagues. At this age, performing this well in the rookie season, honestly, I, yeah. Um, and again, I think Joe Herbert's got the edge right now of a burrow, but I don't think this threshold analysis is a good way of saying that one's going to be better than the other. Um, whichever one's lower valued of the two, that's probably the one I try and trade for because they're both legitimately killing it. And I'm looking forward to Tua backing them up this year as well. The the most worrying thing about this class is that all positions are actually kind of killing it right now. And the best rookie running back going through the same analysis is James Robinson, who literally was not on my rookie board. God damn. I hate myself sometimes. Um, An undrafted free agent I had no knowledge of is literally the best running back in this class. Now, that's with a third round rookie pick expectation because he's an undrafted free agent. But even if he wasn't, he's outperforming most rookie running backs in their first season. And um, what, what's he got? Like a 17 points per game. He's got an 11% target share, which is lower than some of the other running backs in this class. But because he's using a third round expectation as an undrafted free agent, that looks like 7% higher than most rookie running backs with at least two top 24 seasons. And again, you can you could dial in that expectation with the type of player um, whether he's a third down back or you know uh, a three down back or just a grinder. But still, 11% is decent on that offense. It's not enough to say on a week-to-week basis he's having an exceptionally high floor through his receiving work. But like, there's no reason to have fear about J- James Robinson. If at this point your concern with James Robinson is that he's an undrafted free agent, I'm going to immediately default to the fact that undrafted free agents matter. Running backs... Still don't matter if we can agree with the context of what that statement means. But talent does show through and James Robinson doesn't do this without it. I'm, I'm pretty confident on that. Now enough talent that, you know, it can fade away immediately. But that's true of all running backs. And there is a concern that a team can fade from an undrafted free agent on a whim. But that wasn't really working out with Austin Eckler for the undrafted free agent haters before he got injured. And I really don't expect it to for James Robinson. Like, yes, they can Trey Mason him or whatever in the draft, maybe. But I'm going to bet on the player, and this player seems pretty good. Clyde Edwards-Lair, even first-round expectation. And I know it probably doesn't feel like it, so Clyde Edwards-Lair might be an easier buy right now with none of that. He might, They might fade from him eventually in Dynasty situations. Um. He's got like a 40% target share that's also 7% above average, but for a first-round pick, so the expectation is actually slightly higher, he's got 5 points per game above expectation for running backs drafted in the first round with at least two top 24 seasons, which rules out the Trent Richardsons of the world. So those are pretty much all good running backs drafted in the first round. Not all, but most, and like significantly good. Um, Yeah, it might not feel like it, and especially with the Kareem Hunt, not Cream Hunt. What's his name? Cream Hunt the first. 
Le'Veon Bell, oh yes, he's signing. Don't know how that situation's going to play out. I feel like it's still going to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's show. But Le'Veon Bell still, like... Le'Veon Bell matters. Um, and the Chiefs got a really good deal. I'm one of the best players at the position. So it's nerve-wracking. But we play Dynasty. So if, if Le'Veon Bell this year, towards the end of the season, there's a lot less concern of that in Dynasty. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been doing really decent and has owed so many touchdowns based on his usage. Uh, he had, I think, two core back last week. Uh, yeah, strongly in on the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire take so far. Jonathan Taylor, whose usage has gone up and down and is struggling, but it's it's stripped that expectation of a first uh, of a second-round running back. Like, the concerns that some people are like, Jonathan Taylor should be a first-round pick, but he wasn't. Therefore, we have to have lower expectations have not born true like Jonathan Taylor's well above expectation for a second round running back across all four of those stats and one that's interesting since he only just really showed up Swift DeAndre Swift is the third player on this list in terms of over expectation he has been increasing steadily over the last three weeks when I went and looked at some trend numbers I created in that database for the 2020 season he's actually been growing it's not just that big performance DeAndre Swift is showing up for for a, a second round running back. Obviously, he's getting slightly less expectation than Jonathan Taylor, but he's still significantly above average. What do the numbers look like? And Clyde Woods, DeAndre Swift, there he is. He's got 6% target share above expectation, and that's with limited usage through the first few weeks that's made everyone tilt. It's hard to get that quickly above the expectation of a second round running back in your first year. It's more than you think it's been. It's just been remarkably bad in fantasy, in other words. Um, in terms of his efficiency volume metrics, the yards per team pass attempt and yards per team attempt, he's kind of right on expectation. But for again, for a second round pick with multiple top 24 seasons, that's a fairly good expectation for Swift, given the way his season's played out. Pretty impressed with it. Next on the list is Antonio Gibson. I feel both justified and wrong on being worried about Antonio Gibson. Um, I didn't fade him in my rookie board. I thought the hype of a player that hadn't played the position full-time and the NFL not liking weird, as I think the way they put it, was a little extreme. But if you went in on it, it definitely worked out. And where I was kind of, I know, I don't feel like I got it right or wrong. But he does seem to have a top 24 ceiling, not a top 12 ceiling. That's typically not what I draft. Why did I have Keyshawn Vaughn at the end of the first round? Why? Even Jake, former co-host on this show, made fun of people. No, he didn't even at me. He doesn't even at me anymore when he does things. But, like, I... Anyway, um, Joshua Kelly is next on the list, which feels like a win for a guy who is purely using points per game to point out that's the only other running back in this class who's average over 20 points per game. Again, the usage has been rough. It has dropped off over the last three weeks. Again, read, read my usage article for DLF. Um, or just look at that database with that trend number in it. Um, and it's actually shifted more towards Justin Jackson, who I liked in a similar manner, Kelly, when when Justin Jackson came out. Kind of on the train of both of them, because they've been decent values in the rookie dress and since. Um, it's looking like they're going to split work, and one's going to be good one week and the other. If I were to guess... And it was definitely Justin Jackson last week, last week, but it could swing back to Kelly. And Kelly's showing out decently in his rookie season. 
So he's a dynasty ad if people start to lose that loving feeling for a player that Justin Jackson just, you know, wrongly pipped or whatever. Um, J.K. Dobbins is the first big name under expectation. He's got a second round expectation because he was drafted in the second round. It's close enough, especially with the way his season's played out and Baltimore keeps dividing up that work, which honestly just seems to be what they want to do. Whether you think they shouldn't or they should, it's what they want to do. If I was to put my money on someone who's good enough and is showing up well enough to eventually become that dynasty league changer and at the running back position, yeah, it would be Dobbins on a great on that great offense. So he's a strong hold. But just through this threshold expectation analysis he's the first one that's actually below expectation in his rookie season it's only seven weeks that's that's what i'll say it and i will not say it when Keyshawn Vaughn is now the next on the list below expectation he's slightly more significantly below expectation he has three less points per game for a third round pick like he hasn't played he literally hasn't been able to go in the field and with running back we know that's more about team choice than it is other positions um, and he did show up, has shown decent when he's on the field, but he definitely hasn't earned his way on the field. And then they got Leonard Fournette. Remember all the context here. In some ways, Keyshawn Vaughn is a post-hype sleeper, but I wouldn't pay, you know, a second-round pick. Like he's probably a second-round pick value, but that's not one I want to spend my value on right now. So probably not. But he he's worth keeping in mind because of the way his season's gone, but he's below expectation. Everyone else is also below expectation, obviously from Zach Moss, DJ Dallas, who's done nothing. Cam Akers, also on the list, and with J.K. Dobbins, because we were so sure on their profiles being decent, at least, I I still think that rebound could happen. My Target Share article this week, I basically finished pointing out, now, if you're playing the Dynasty Hedge game, and you should always be playing the Dynasty Hedge game, um... It's a great time to test yourself. How confident do you feel about how much you know about rookies? Because right now is a really good time to buy most of these rookie running backs. And we were all decently high on them. Especially Dobbins and especially Akers. Who've really been below expectations so far. That can switch, as we just saw with John Ray Swift, kind of on a dime. You can buy them now for what they are valued at. I think before now, I, I've got this trade idea as a bad trader that some players are not buyable at their value because people like them. And right now, and they have to kind of be not liked or neutraled. Yeah, I'm holding them, all right? Kind of a response to buy them for the value. So you're not going to get a discount, but you're going to be to buy them at their current value. So... The way I ended my article was, that's a league-winning or losing decision, honestly. That that has the highest upside and the lowest downside for a dynasty roster or an in-season roster. So how confident do you feel in your rookie evaluations? Yeah, I kind of like the buy idea of buying all of them right now. That's me. Uh, I Yeah, I like it. But moving on, that's, that's kind, of, it's kind of a personal choice, right? Life decision. Rookie wide receivers... Yeah, they're all great. Chase Claypool apparently is the best. He's certainly the furthest over expectation. I do expect that to dull slightly over a season-long kind of situation. But yeah, yeah, Chase Claypool, man, you don't need me to tell you he's doing really well over the last few weeks. And the team apparently hates Juju. Honestly, i got to talk with someone about Juju more in depth. 
someone that watches in depth a little bit more because I really want to compare the numbers to the tape. I can't, I'm not doing that myself. I'm one side of that conversation, you know? So another day maybe. Justin Jefferson, honestly, he's he's the best performing wide receiver this year by some measures I honestly trust. Yards per team pass attempt, yards per team attempt. And he started the season slow as well. To get there, and remember you're continuously adding up team passing attempts. He's not only leaped over players who've been playing high-volume roles from the start of the season, he's dwarfed them. Now, part of me wants to say regression, that can't continue. But instead, he's a rookie that I really liked and had in that first tier that I liked as well as C.D. Lamb, also killing it, and Jalen Ragor, who I think is a strong buy right now, um, because he has been injured, man. He has to do something this year. He has to get this to this level of expectation, but he still has time to do it before I get worried. So, yeah, I kind of like buying Rago. But anyway, um, yeah, Justin Jefferson's just killing it. Um, and there's no reason to fear it, based on the numbers. The player that was in my head, and I started this whole rookie board argument off with, is T. Higgins. Guys, girls, dynasty players, T. Higgins is doing as well as everyone I just mentioned. Every one of them. And I mean, yeah, Justin Jefferson's yards per team pass attempt numbers are freaking historic right now. And they will level out before the end of the season. And Chase Claypool scored a rushing touchdown. Wow. And all the touchdowns, basically. T. Higgins is easily in that tier. He's done it more consistently and at a higher volume than two of the players I just mentioned. Than all of them. He was, like, I don't know where we go from here. But if you find T. Higgins is at a slightly lower value than any of the goes that I just mentioned, he's still the most decent value in this draft class, which seems to be a really good dynasty wide receiver class. Just saying. Like, I'm not in your league, and I don't know he's going to be ever as good as A.J. Green was, at least. Um... But his upside is over Tyler Boyd, I think. Yeah, it's over Tyler Boyd. And right now, to compare, he's got a 70% target share. He's 3% over the average for a first-round pick, let alone a second-round pick, in terms of target share in the rookie season through the first seven weeks. He's right on the average, um, like 0.28 in yards per team pass attempt. He has a 0.8 yards per team pass attempt, Yards per team attempt. He's actually slightly lower than some of those other players. I said all of the numbers. That's not quite true. His yard per team pass attempt, however, which is more relevant for receivers, really, when you think about it, is very good, especially for a rookie with second round draft capital. And it's actually, like I said, uh, 0.37 over expectation, which is over, but only slightly. I get why Higgins gets lost in the mall here, because it's good. But look at C.D. Lamb and look at Justin Jefferson. But these, Those are threshold numbers. I don't think the experience of Higgins is really living up to the experience of Jefferson and Claypool. But we want points and rookie players with good profiles or great profiles doing really well in the rookie season. That's what we want. And T. Higgins is in that category and because the experience of it has been slightly less, he might be easier to get. Like, I kind of like that. 
I kind of like that a lot. I was originally thinking he was the rookie I would sell more easily. Now I'm thinking he's the one I'm holding a little stronger. Or maybe even buying? Which is interesting. Um, anyway, after that is Brandon Ayuk, LaVisca Chenault. Who I was... Again, it's a right and wrong player, I think, there. He's done decently. Um, certainly no th- shade to throw. First player below expectation. Um, Henry Ruggs is above, by the way. Um, he's been having a solid rookie year. He's meaning our hopeful expectations of him as a player we didn't see as having the ceiling of everyone else I've mentioned so far. Um, first player below it of any significance outside of Jalen Rager, who's been injured, um, would be Michael Pittman and Brian Edwards. Even adjusting for their draft round, they've been... Eh, Pittman's been a little injured, to be fair. Um, I, I think he's actually now on IR. I should take that back. Brian Edwards, however, has been disappointing for a third-round pick. I'm putting him in the Rago category. Um, I I want to see them hit this, these expectations of, you know, having, you know, two or three more percent over the course of the season than they've currently had in terms of target share, for example. And which means their volume needs to increase. Jalen Rager needs to get back. Brian Edwards needs to pick up more of the offense, offensive volume. But he's kind of in that category right now for me, along with KJ Hamler, um, who is someone I also liked. Now, they're surrounded by players I wasn't too high on, like Pittman, like Devin Duvernay, like Freddie Swain, apparently, is the next one up in points per game. Um, Quintus Cyphers, who I thought was interesting, along with Tyler Johnson. So they're in with a mix of players you're either... I was either middling or no interest in. Um, all that means is these players should be the same value as their rookie draft or slightly lower because they're underperforming expectation. And for slightly lower value, I just listed off the names I would actually go out and be interested in, especially if I was thinking of the future based on that. But they should fall. And then that rookie redraft I'm going to do, yeah, they, they're going to have to fall down my draft board because through seven weeks they're underperforming. Again, draft board is different than ranks. Or that's the way it should have been. Anyway, um, John Hightower, who has impressed me as a six-round pick at Lauren in Philly. Despite that, he's still underperforming expectations for a six-round pick. Um, He had a pretty decent game tonight. Uh, I'm recording on Thursday. um, And I don't want to throw too much shade at him because of it. Um, But yeah, it, it hasn't been enough to make me think... He should be added to my buy list. Um, I'd for sure pick him up for free, obviously, but he's definitely owned by now. <laughs> Let's face it. Um, Antonio Gandy-Golden, fifth-round pick I was very high on. Strongly underperforming, even for a fifth-round pick in his rookie season. I got asked that question the other day, so I thought I'd throw it out. Again, the deeper the draft capital, the lower the draft capital, the longer you have to expect that that arc might tilt. I forgot how arcs work. Essentially, you just have to burn the roster spot for longer, which is the other part about speculating in lower-drafted players because they have a slightly longer window to break out. They're more likely to lose value early because you don't have the draft capital boost in Dynasty. Gandy Golden, Tyler Johnson, these are players I just try and remember and add off waiver-wise in off-seasons when I have space because they were decent profiles in the rookie class but low draft capital. And so far, that's... That seems to be what's happening. But both of them have a longer arc of potential breakout um, all the way to the fifth year. You know, uh, the breakout arc for a first round pick, for example, 
basically ends at third year. And I know Corey Davis and Devontae Parker, and we do see exceptions, but, you know, they're very, very rare, and we're talking about in general. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at with this rookie class. It's just a brief who's over, who's under, a reasonable expectation. And again, it's only through seven weeks, two more weeks, and someone gets a decent role, and all of these numbers change drastically. Like, Antonio Gandy-Golden could significantly end above the average expectation for a six-round pick. Probably not. Again, he's got a longer arc of potential breakout. But it's only seven weeks. I hate to keep doing the nerdy small sample size, but also I, have to, I want to be realistic with myself. And so I thought that might be value to you as well. Those players are underperforming through seven weeks. I still have hope for the ones I liked because of the rookie profile. And that leads us to how long and how bitterly I hold on to rookie profiles. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. But I kind of believe in my rookie process. Still, I know, and I know, looking at that draft board. But I do believe my rookie process, so I will remember the names. You know? All right, I'm getting out of here. This was a, way too long for a, for a solo show. I guess I was enjoying it. I hope you were too. Hit me up at Pierre Howdy on Twitter if you want to tell me how wrong I am. Or please constantly remind me how wrong I got that draft board so I never make that mistake that I know not to make again. And uh, yeah, or at Donor Crossroads on Twitter as well. The podcast itself has a Twitter account. I meant, I guess I'm meant to be signing into that one. Anyway, see you later. See you next week. Um, hopefully you can check out that live rookie draft with me and some people who are kind enough to talk about fantasy football with me sometimes. And uh, yeah, take care. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play unfold. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays. No, Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play unfold. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays. No, Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.